I want you guys to get the right picture of what's happening here in Luke chapter 6. Um, Jesus has been teaching uh, multitudes of people. And as he's teaching, he's doing um, healings. There's miracles that are happening. And, and what's happened progressively is Jesus is becoming more and more um, popular. People are finding out about him. They're hearing about uh, this this man from a redneck town, Nazareth, that's becoming more and more popular, and they, they're showing up. And, and so Jesus begins to teach here, and he's teaching to his disciples. And what you're seeing here at, at this scene in Luke 6 is this, there's a large crowd, and in that crowd there's really three different types of people. There's, uh, there's his disciples, uh, then there's, there's followers that have kind of traveled with him, and then there is just a crowd of people who have really, um, when Christ would visit a place, Place, they would empty out entire villages uh, to go and hear um, this, this man from Nazareth. And so it's a very interesting thing of the popularity that's beginning to increase with Christ. And what's happening is th- these people are coming by the multitudes uh, to hear what he says. Um, you even see in Luke 4 it says that word went about, around, about Jesus in surrounding areas. And so it's all, every time he would come to a place, multitudes of people would hear about it. Entire villages would empty out just so they could hear and see Jesus. Um, it even talks about how um, people would touch him and they would be healed. And so we're going we're gonna to grab that in Luke, uh, 17 of, uh, Luke 6, verse 17. It says this, And when he came down with them and stood on a level with a great crowd... Of his disciples and a a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast to Tyre and Sidon um, who came uh, to to hear him and to uh, be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. Now, I want you to notice something that's happening here because Jesus is teaching to multitudes of people. He's the most popular person uh, of, of this region. Uh, they're hearing about him. They want to see him. And Jesus is not at all interested in the crowd as much as he's interested in the hearts of those who are there. And so I want you to know, even in this crowd, even what is taking place, Jesus stops and he begins to communicate uh, to really to one group of people. And it's his, his what? His disciples. His disciples. And he does this in a very interesting way. He begins to do uh, what, what they would call an oracle. This is the, the way that he would deliver this message. And this is the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is really a way that the Jews would communicate. If a, if a prophet, if a Jewish prophet were to proclaim uh, good news from God, he would often do it in the form of an oracle. It would be, uh, he would give great news from God and then he would give, uh, kind of counter it with a woe. So it's like, God's going to do this, but watch out for this. God's going to do this, but watch out for this. And so this is exactly uh, what he begins to unpack, this Beatitudes, or he gives a blessing. He talks about what is going to happen, but he also gives a uh, sort of a warning to God's people. And so when Jesus is communicating to his disciples, he's doing so in that formula of a blessing and a woe, which would follow it and would counter it. 
So, uh, before we unpack this, before we unpack this concept of blessing, I want to unpack what a blessing is. Because I think in Christian culture, we have hijacked the word blessing. I mean, I, I, have you ever seen uh, the shirt that says, be blessed, right? Or you're talking to somebody on the phone, they say, have a what? Have a, have a blessed day, right? And, and we tend to use this phrase over and over again. I'm so blessed. And, and I don't think we actually know what we're saying most of the time when we say that word. I'll just be honest. I, I think if, for you to understand the gospel as a believer, you are blessed. If you are a believer in Christ, you are blessed, You're blessed if you lose your house in a hurricane. You're blessed if you are in a coma. If you belong to Christ, he has saved you out of your sin, out of your wickedness. He's given you a new heart that belongs to him. He becomes the Lord of the universe, is now your master, your father, and you are his child, and you are his daughter. You are blessed. You're, you're very blessed. And I think what happens is we take that word and we condense it down to, I have an iPhone 4. I am so blessed. I got tickets to the game yesterday. I am so blessed. Or it gets us out of calamity. I didn't get that speeding ticket. I'm blessed. And what it ends up doing is it begins to equate, the word blessed, it begins to equate to American consumerism. And we've condensed a beautiful word down to something that is meaningless. Because the thing is, aren't we supposed to be salt and light? Right? Isn't the church supposed to be salt and light in the world? So if our definition of blessed is the same as the world's definition of blessed, I think we, we, we might have a problem. I think we might have a problem. So, let's look at what Jesus says is a blessed man. Because it's not at all, it's a really raw deal. It's a really raw deal. Let's look at verse 20. It says this. And he lifted up his eyes on his, who's that again? His disciples. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you, spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. And leap for joy, and behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Jesus here is talking directly to his disciples in the midst of a crowd to give them this lesson on what it means to be blessed by God. And it's very interesting here because, again, Jesus is not impressed with the crowd. And I got to tell you, as we grow, as our church grows, and I mentioned this, I think the first week we were here, as our church grows, and we we do have to pull out extra 
seats and there are more people who are coming and we're excited about that. We've, we've, we've really started this church with the mindset of making disciples and we wanted to grow deep more than we wanted to grow wide. And so we see uh, more people showing up and I want to tell you, uh, I want to have the same heart that Jesus has. We can have more and more people show up, but if we're not really making disciples, we are completely wasting our time. Like if people are not being conformed into the image of Christ as we continue this thing, it, it, it's, it, we're just doing a show. We're just putting together a weekend event. That's a waste of time. That's a huge waste of time. I mean, set up and tear down alone, right? So I, I, what I really want to see is disciples being made, and that was Jesus' intention, and that's Jesus' mission as he's communicating this large crowd. He zeroes it down to the ones that really matter his disciples because those are the ones who are going to continue the mission, not the crowd. Not the crowd. It's the disciples. It's the disciples. So he uh, addresses his disciples, and let's look at how he speaks to his disciples and how he speaks to us this morning. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, let's look at the woe in that contrast. So that's verse 20. Now, let's look at the woe that he counters that with. Look at verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. So some of you are like, okay, well, I'm definitely poor, so check I'm blessed, right? I'm out of here. I don't have any money. And I'm good. So I'm blessed. Next, right? But what's he talking about here? Because I think it's very important. Because I think what we do when we talk about um, financial blessings or whatever, we end up falling. I, I see Christians fall into two camps in that. Uh, one would be the prosperity uh, gospel, uh, which means that you uh, believe that God's uh, plan for your life is to be as healthy and wealthy as possible. And there's a big problem with that. Uh, it's called the Bible, where you don't see people who really have that problem. You see his disciples are beheaded and stoned, and Jesus himself was crucified. So, I mean, that doesn't seem like a good health plan, crucifixion. I mean, it just doesn't seem like it would be a part of the plan. So, you have... Um, you have this prosperity gospel that honestly is very popular. It's fast, it's, it's rapidly growing. It's even moved to Africa and it's already oppressing, already oppressed people. And, and it's a mess. And so I totally reject, I think it's total heresy. By the way, anytime you put a word in front of gospel, it's probably not good, right? Probably not good. So prosperity gospel is one and we totally reject uh, prosperity gospel. Um, we don't believe that the end is for you to be healthy and wealthy. We believe that the end, of, the end goal of you knowing God is uh, to glorify him above all things and uh, hold him above all things and he becomes the treasure even above trinkets. So the next thing is the, the poverty gospel. And the poverty gospel is uh, the, 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 the less money that you have, the more holy you are. The more sacrifices you make, the more uh, that God is pleased with you. And, and so we don't believe that's biblical either. I mean, most of the time, people, what they do is they take verses like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's harder for an, uh, you know, a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. And they'll look at even this text like, oh, see, he, you know, blessed are the poor people. So obviously, um, I need to be poor to be you know, 
thought of highly by God. And he's not, we, we reject that one as well because I think that there are rich people that God absolutely uses. It's the love of money that uh, is the root of all kinds of evil, not just money. It's the love of money. It's when you hold money as ultimate that he warns us against. So we totally reject the prosperity gospel and we totally reject the poverty gospel because both of them are adding to the gospel, all right? The other thing that you begin to see here is throughout scripture there's about four different ways that people would see poverty Uh, one would be uh, you know the proverbs talks about the guy who is poor because he doesn't work and i totally affirm that absolutely you must work to get food right Uh, the other ones would would be regarding like the old testament it talks about uh, it gives the analogy of a farmer who has lost much of his land and now he's poor as a result of a a, um, famine that has happened or some type of natural disaster that has wiped out his crop Uh, you have uh, other places where uh, israel they just received ruthless oppression for years and years and as a result of that they were they were living in poverty Uh, you even have examples of uh, those who sacrifice much for the kingdom's sake. And we, think, we can't say that's a command, but we do see that as poverty. And so Jesus is not talking about any of these four things. He's actually introducing a new idea of what he means by, by, what he means by poverty. And, and what, what you see here, he begins to compare. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he's comparing uh, the kingdom of heaven to the, to the kingdom of this world. So he's introducing really two types of kingdoms. So that's the first thing we need to know. The second thing is uh, Matthew 5, 3 uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives a very similar uh, sermon that he gives here in Luke. And, and what he does is he says, blessed, Jesus says, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what he's talking about here is someone not, not that has more or less money in their wallet or their bank account. He's really talking about Someone who is spiritually bankrupt. Anybody ever felt that way? That's a really good place to be. Spiritually bankrupt is when you realize that you cannot go on without Christ. There's nothing that you can do without Christ. You are in a complete state of total dependence on Christ. He says, blessed is the person who relies only on Christ. You get to the point where you say, no money, no possessions, no relationships, nothing can compare to Christ. Nothing will satisfy my heart and my soul but Christ. I think it's a really wonderful place. And I think for me, if we look at this woe that he does to counter it, he says, woe, to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. I'm really leery um, about people who might come through on a given Sunday. They may even volunteer. They may even go to a life group. Um, they may serve at the Zoe house this weekend. Of people who are just floating by and they're always okay. And there's no sense of longing toward their heart and their soul to get things right. There's no sense of, I really need Christ. I need to be reminded of the gospel daily. And isn't that what we hate about church? 
that we've seen this pattern of people coming and going through and never really crying out to God for any need for him whatsoever. And they're living their life like they're rich, like they're wealthy. I've got everything. I've got an iPod 4, right? iPhone 4. And I, have the, you know, I, have, I just got tickets to the game. They lost, but it was okay. I still got tickets, right? And everything is just sort of okay. And I think for me, I, I really wanted to see it where we're looking at Jesus' command. And he's saying, really, woe to you who act like you don't even need me anymore. Woe to you. I want this to be a place where it's okay that you're not okay. As long as you're not going to stay that way, as long as you're pursuing Christ, it's okay for you to be in that place where you're like, I'm not okay. I need to continue to pursue Christ. I think what, what this needs to look like is gospel-centered community needs to happen around people who are really hurting. And the church really begins to pour into those people, but they just got to be honest. Listen, man, I've got these addictions. I've got these struggles. I've got these anger issues. We're having marital problems. That is where the church comes in and they begin to help those who are hurting. But woe to us who act like we're not hurting. Woe to us who act like we're okay. So Jesus goes on. He gives us this wonderful picture of what this person should look like. He says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And let's look at the, the woe. Verse 25. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And what he's talking about is the same person that is okay with everything. They just kind of go on with their life, and they're laughing. And, and there's a illustration of Ecclesiastes gives, uh, like, it talks about how, how a fool is a man who laughs while he's on fire. I think it's a very interesting analogy. Because that is exactly this world that we live in of the evangelical Christian culture that I struggle with so much that people will just kind of float by. They really don't ever make any really change. Jesus just helped me get to heaven, that kind of mentality, but he didn't change my life and he didn't radically change the way I I think and I live. And we're just going to coast through and, and do that. And he's saying, hey, that's a crazy man. That's a person who's laughing while they're on fire. Jesus is saying the same thing. What are you who laugh? But he's saying, blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who realize that you are spiritually bankrupt, that you need him so desperately, and you are walking in total humility and total need of him and weeping over your sin and your brokenness. When was the last time we actually were broken over the very fact of our depravity, our need for him, the sins that we have in our hearts? When was the last time that we actually stopped and said, I need him. I need him. We're crying out for him. So... Verse 22, he, he goes on to strive. These are, these are outer, uh, these are inward changes that we begin to see. But then he even talks about the lifestyle of this kind of person and how they look uh, to the rest of the world. Verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy and behold your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And this does not sound like your best life now, does it? It does not sound like that. 
Blessed are those, blessed are you who are hated and excluded. I mean, what's worse, being hated or excluded? Have you ever been excluded by something? Like if you've been on Facebook and seen a party that happened, and you're like, hey, I know those people, and I know those are my best friends, and you're not there. You're not in the pictures. You weren't invited. You were excluded. And how about, you know, blessed are those who are hated. Who are hated? Blessed are the man, is the man who's hated. I mean, we, we want to unpack that. And let me just be clear. Um, some Christians are hated because they're jerks. All right? I just want to be really clear. All right? They're annoying. Okay? We know, you know what I'm talking about? Right? The chick track guy. Right? Okay. That's different. Right? The chick track. If no one's ever seen that. It's a comic book track. That, No. He, okay, we got one over here. Just Google it. All right. Um, the guy who always is trying to make his uh, coworkers uncomfortable by asking him, if you died right now, today, where would you go? That guy. Like, he's hated for obvious reasons, right? Uh, because he's annoying. And so I think we've got to be careful because we don't want to ever, like, say, well, I'm hated. That's great. Well, sometimes you can be hated for the wrong reasons. And so what he's talking about is the person who's hated because they're, 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 the, their image is starting to conform to the image of Christ. And people are starting to see Christ in them. And that is what they hate. And so love is always going to be the first thing that we always want to do when we share the gospel with people. So we build those relationships and we live missionally. And I think some people are hated because they don't live missionally. They don't understand people who don't know Christ. And so they just, you know, they just kind of lay it out there, you know. Stop here, I'm going to watch, I want you to watch the Left Behind tape, right? That'll change your life. No, that's annoying, right? Just do life with people who are lost. Pour into those who are lost and those who are perishing so that we can know them, so they can see a glorious Savior. But sometimes, even when you do that, even when you pursue Christ the most uh, glorious way, and even when you're doing life even with those who are lost and those who are perishing, there will be times, even in that, they begin to see Christ in you and they hate it because they hate Christ. They hate it. So he says, blessed are you who are hated. And then the woe, it's very clear. It says, woe to you. Woe to you. When all people speak well of you, for their fathers did to the false prophets. This is why you can't build any relationships just on the sheer fact of you being liked above all things. I mean, I, for me personally, I, when I planted this church, I never wanted to offend anybody. I was just like, you know, I'm going to just try to be a nice pastor. I don't want to rock the boat in a lot of ways. So if I get to a passage that's really tricky and hard to explain, I'm just going to, I don't want to make anybody mad. I just want people to think I'm a nice guy. Ask me how well that went. It didn't go so well. People began to see, well, you're, you're double-tongued. You said this and you said this. Like, what's up with that? Right? And, and you know, what, what about the word? You know, you're, you're supposed to be teaching the word here and you're not, you kind of skip this verse. Conveniently. And what the thing, the thing is, if we're believers in Christ, our whole objective is not to be liked by everyone. It's to glorify Christ in all things. You will be liked by, by others if you glorify Christ, but you will be hated by some. Probably a lot. So, are we willing to, to heed the words of Christ that says, woe to you, danger to you, who wants to be liked by everybody? I mean, we've we got to look at John. John's gospel, really clear here. John 15, it says this, 18 through 23. If the world hates you, 
know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on the account of whose name? My name. Because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. So the life of a believer begins to look different. Um, it, it repels some, absolutely. Um, it looks like one who is spiritually bankrupt and constantly in need of Christ. But he talks about this reward here. And I want to show you that real quick. It says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. He talks about leaping for joy in the face of suffering, in the face of being excluded, in the face of being hated. He talks about leaping for joy. So what does that look like? Um, It looks like this. You begin to join really uh, a a group of people, uh, prophets, false, uh, former prophets that spoke the truth of God. And you began to to join that group of them who were suffered for the name of, of God. You begin to join that group of so he says, your, father, your, your fathers did the same thing. Your, the old prophets did the same thing. They suffered for the name of Yahweh. And then he talks about this, uh, this concept of heaven that I really want to clarify and nail down really, really quick. Because I think what we do with heaven is we, we overemphasize the streets of gold and the mansions and, you know, uh, the angels and all the things that we kind of put on our mantelpiece, and those are our ideas of heaven. But the thing is, Jesus Christ is the reward, not the things. Not the things. Jesus Christ is what makes up heaven, not the trinkets, not the things that we, because we're consumers, want. He's the treasure. He's above all things. And so, when we look at this, uh, when we look at even great is your reward in heaven, I mean, how many of you have actually heard, well, you're going to get the crowns, and they're going to go in your head, and you're going to continue to get all these big crowns, and then you're going to throw them, what, at the feet of Jesus, right? And that's, that's the reward that you'll get. You'll get the crowns, yes, but you'll throw them at the feet of Jesus. Uh, I don't think you'll find that example anywhere in Scripture. It's not there. Because the reward is not just us saying, look what I've done. Here's my crown. I'm going to throw it at Jesus, right? Look at me. Look at, look at all the wonderful things that I've done. Oh, you've got one crown? Oh, it's made of thorns. Oh, that, you, how do you think Jesus is going to feel about that, right? And you can't sit there and say, this is the example of what it means for rewards in heaven. The reward is him. Him alone. He's the reward. He's it. That's all you need. And I love what John Piper says. He does a great heart check for us. He says, if you got to heaven and Jesus wasn't there, would you be disappointed? Because he is heaven. He is what makes up heaven. He is what makes up our rewards. Our rewards are him. He's our reward. So I think what we do 
we bring in our understanding of blessing into our understanding of heaven, it makes a mess of things. We, not, we have to see our need for Christ, that he is the reward above all things. And we desperately, continually need him. As unbelievers, as believers in Christ, we consistently need to remind ourselves of his of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. So what I want our, our people to understand, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the hungry, blessed are those who are hated by the world, but woe to you who's rich and you don't act like you need him, you're full, you have no need, you're, you're so full of consumerism, you have no need for Christ. Woe to you who everyone likes you, you're the most popular person, that's your goal, that's your life. He says, woe to you. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples surrounding with a great crowd surrounding him. Who do you think it actually stuck to? His disciples. The crowd leave when Jesus would challenge in this way. So I have to ask, are, are we all disciples here? Are we disciples in this room? It says, great is your reward in heaven. Is he our reward? Is that Christ? Or is it all the other things we try to put into our lives? So I think what we have to do this morning, we have to just stop. Just let the Lord convict our hearts this morning of our own consumerism, our own thoughts of what it means to be blessed. Our own thoughts of, I'm okay. I I did these things this week. I'm fine. I don't need to repent of this item in my life, of this part of my life. He He wants your heart. Christ wants your heart. So I think we have to just be still for a moment and pray and ask God, show us our need for him. Show us our need where all of these things aren't going to measure up. I need him. I need him alone. Let's pray.